Hi, Emerald listeners. I'm Megan Fitzpatrick here with another episode of How It's Reported. Today, I'm back with Claire Warner, a news reporter at the Emerald, who was actually on the podcast a few months ago, but we're bringing her back because unsurprisingly, she has written another great story and I want to know more about it. But first, Claire, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Megan? You know, I'm doing good. School, like I said to you earlier, school's been rough, but we're here. We're doing it. It's Sunday. It's not too bad. Okay, so obviously today I wanted to talk about your Chegg story. Can you give uh, the listeners a quick summary of what the story was about? Yeah, so um, the story was about UO students who have been recently using the online learning service Chegg Study to um, cheat online unproctored exams, uh, primarily in STEM classes, and how professors have been reaching out to Chegg to request user information so that they can identify students who um, use the service to cheat. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this seems like a interesting story to tell as both a student and a journalist. Um, how did you get involved with the story? How did you decide to cover it? So at first, I started working on a story just about academic dishonesty in the age of COVID-19 with online exams. And while I was reporting on that, I knew that Chegg study um, could be used to cheat, but it wasn't my primary focus in reporting on that story. But when I was interviewing professors, a lot of them mentioned Chegg and a lot of them mentioned some information about Chegg that I had not previously known that I thought was very interesting. So I decided I wanted to look more into it. And it felt like every interview I had, someone mentioned a new, really interesting thing about Chegg's study. Um, and then one of the last interviews I had for that story with um, biology instructor Nicola Barber was that uh, she mentioned that professors w- were reaching out to Chegg um, to get information about students her- who were using it to cheat and that um, that all of the course material was copyrighted and that's why, sup- according to her, um, Chegg was willing to work with them to identify these students. And I thought that was just really, really interesting. And that's when I reached out to my associate editor, not professor. I reached out to my <laughs> associate editor, Artie, and uh, we talked about it. And he said we should do a follow-up story about Chegg after the academic dishonesty story came out. Yeah, I mean, th- this story was super interesting for me in a lot of different ways. I think the conversation surrounding cheating during the pandemic with like online classes has become a lot of there's been a lot of like rumors and ideas of like for like example like that you can see answers professors can hear you when you're on mute on canvas just funny things like that but I think this story was like really informational because it focused on an actual platform that I think a lot of people do use and um you had a lot of facts and information about Chegg being able to give professors IP addresses information surrounding the students who use their program, which was very surprising to me. But I saw that you interviewed a professor uh, named Alan, Alan Keller, Kelly, is that his name? Alan Kelly, yeah. Uh, 
Okay, cool. Tell me how you got connected with him. So that was really interesting, actually. So I, like I had mentioned, I was interviewing Nicola Barber, and she mentioned that she knew professors who were reaching out to Chegg to get this information, to get IP addresses. And I wanted to know more about that. Um, But uh, she wasn't really willing to talk about it in that moment. And so after our interview, she actually emailed me connecting me with someone else with another faculty member who was Alan Kelly saying Alan is willing to talk about his experience contacting Chegg for information and so she connected us and um, shortly after we set up an interview and um, it was a really great interview it was like so fun it's great (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway um but yeah that's how that process went is because I didn't initially know like who had had this experience before but Alan was willing to talk about it which was really cool it seems like a different kind of interview It, it feels more investigative um tell me about the process of that and how it went yeah so um some of the questions I was asking was really to just get the foundational information about like, how does this work? How did you learn about Chegg in the first place? And um, how did you find that your exam questions were posted on this website? Mm -hmm. Um, How did you go about gathering this information? Um, What did you find? A lot of like questions like that, that I wouldn't have necessarily like otherwise thought to ask just because this was new information to me as well and so this was like where a lot of the basic facts were needed and so that's kind of what I was getting from this interview and it was really fun honestly just because um he was very open to answering my questions I don't think there was a single question that I asked that he was like hesitant to answer at all oh Um, wow okay yeah and he was just very personable. So I really enjoyed our interview. Um, and then had a lot of like quite a bit back and forth after that with, um, well, I, so I interviewed him the first time about Chegg actually before the first story about academic dishonesty came out. And so then, so that came out Monday of week one of winter term and then the Chegg story came out Monday of week three of winter term. Mm-hmm. And so um, there were three weeks in between there, right? Or two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so there were two weeks in between those two stories being published in which I reconnected with Alan um, to go over pretty much like what I already had and um, see if there were any developments to ask clarifying questions and it was like the same experience again it was just a really good interview with a lot of um like he was willing to answer every question and then I asked a lot of follow-up questions after that right before this story was going to be published because like when we're going through the edits and just fact checking everything there was a lot of fact checking involved with this story Mm -hmm. um and so because of that I had to uh reach out to him quite a bit after our interview um which was really great because he was super responsive and got back really quick with good information that's ideal we love when interviewees reach back out um 
But, well, let me start a little bit from the beginning. So, obviously, like, in your story, there was a lot of information regarding past lawsuits that Chegg had gone through. Can you tell me about how you found that out and what the process was like reporting about it? Yeah, so when I told Artie about what I had learned from Nicola Barber, I called him frantically, I think. I was like, Artie, listen to this. Listen to what I just found out. Um, And what I told him was that Nicola believed that they were willing to cooperate with, that Chegg was willing to cooperate with faculty because they didn't want to um, be sued for copyright infringement. So I told Mm -hmm. him that. And he said, we should look to see if they have been sued. Um, And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And there wasn't anything that just immediately came out, came up online when I searched, like, has Chegg been sued? Um, I had never (laughs) searched anything like that before. There was nothing super obvious to me. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, Had to do a little digging. Yes, exactly. And so I let Artie know that I hadn't found anything and he said well did you check pacer and i'm like what the heck is pacer and so um i guess pacer is where all the journalists go (laughs) to find the federal court (laughs) documents and um i didn't know that because first of all i'm not a journalism student and i'm a newish reporter and so i just haven't like learned all this stuff before so I'm just like kind of like figuring things out still and Mm -hmm. so that was really interesting I went on to Pacer made an account which was a little bit difficult but we got through it and um and I just like searched for parties involved I searched Chegg and found like the cases in which Chegg was like a defendant and um there were quite a few at least like I mean, I haven't looked at any other companies before, so I can't really compare, but it seemed like a lot for me just looking at it yeah. for the first time. And so I just went, both Artie and I kind of looked through it, and he gave me further instruction on how to like look through things because there's like a lot of information that Pacer gives you, and so like you have to pay for it to access that information. And so want to like not just be clicking on things just to click on them so he kind of led me through what I should be looking at or looking for and um, we actually made a spreadsheet of the different cases that Chegg was involved in and what the summary of the case was what was it about what they were getting sued for Um, and if we could find the results of those cases then we put that in and like the dates and the basic information like that and there were two cases that stood out to us that were um related to copyright infringement yeah um as i was kind of saying earlier i think the lawsuits were very surprising to me and also just the um availability to get students emails ip address um from Chegg. those were two very interesting things that i read about um but what was a few of the most surprising things you found out about while process while in the process of researching the story um one was I I feel like the really exciting things came at the very beginning because they were complete surprises to me. Um, When I was interviewing for the first academic dishonesty story um, and then learning about Chegg, those were the moments that were really surprising because I was caught off guard. Um, The first was from Thomas Greenbow in the chemistry department uh, who said that chemistry graduate students had supposedly been contacted by Chegg 
for recruitment purposes so that they could answer some of the questions posted onto the website. Um, That just made it very real for me, as in, like, not only are UO students using the service, but there could be UO UO students who are providing the service. Yep. Um, And that was very shocking to me. But also, when I think about it, not surprising at all. One of the things that was, was surprising to me is just how quickly these students were able to get information, get answers. I think you said it was, you could take a photo of your question and get an answer in as little as 30 minutes, which obviously, if you have a take-home test for your online class, you're going to be taken care of if you have, you know, a few hours to do it. So that was definitely interesting to me. Um, Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I guess, like, to bounce off of that, it was an interesting exercise for me to think about how I would deal with this as a professor. Because there are a lot of ways to give an online exam. Um, You could have a super long time limit. You could have a super short time limit. You could uh, have it pretty much like open book or you could have it open book, um, open note, or you could say don't use your book. You could use ProctorU, like a proctoring service. Um, Mm -hmm. But in a lot of... There are a lot of pros and cons to all of these different methods. What might be like, what may be seen as a completely unproctored exam that's really easy to cheat in, maybe that's like more accessible for students. Where as a something conducted like over Proctor U, um, is very stressful for others who have a lot of stress anxiety or sorry test anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a, a lot of different, um, philosophies that go around how to test in remote environments. And that was kind of my goal. Like, that's what I wanted to explore for the first academic dishonesty story was, uh, how are professors dealing with this? What do they believe is the best way? And how, how are these different classes or different instructors, um, approaching this issue in different ways? And so it was interesting for me to think about how would I deal with this whole Chegg thing if I'm a professor and I know my students could or are using it. I was just going to say, you were kind of talking about, you know, what we would do as professors. And I feel, I think one of the quotes that really encapsulated the issue is um, the quote that Kelly said, um, it's really maddening. And as a colleague described it, it's a game of whack-a-mole. You figure out how to prevent one form of cheating and now they come up with something else. Um, And so obviously I think about your story and I think about how, um, you know, students are going to see that Chegg isn't necessarily the most uh, reliable source to cheat from. And of course they're going to find other ways to do it. Um, But kind of going back to your story, Why do you think this is an important story to tell? That's a great question. Um, Yeah, take a second. It's a huge question. Yeah. I'd say it's important because as a journalist, I was shocked to hear this um, from Nicola Barber. It was the first place, my first source that really like told me what was going on about... um, Chegg offering information to professors who requested it and um, just the whole 
allegedly legal background behind that process uh, was very interesting to me. And um, I thought that, well, okay, also as a student, I'll, I'll talk about this first. As a student, I feel like the topic of academic dishonesty, it's always in the syllabus. When you, mm-hmm. the first day of class, you read the syllabus and there's always a little section on academic dishonesty. Don't be dishonest. Do your own work. Plagiarism is bad. But it's never been like, okay, it's not never. But for me, I feel like in my classes, it is usually kind of an afterthought. Yeah, it's like an afterthought. It comes at the end of the syllabus and it's not discussed in detail. It's just don't cheat we all know it there's there's even like a lot of professors who will say you you guys already know this so just don't yeah 100 percent. yeah so what was really important to me is i feel like there are a lot of people who cheat and it's really easy to want to cheat and it's very easy to feel inclined to do so if your peers are doing it as well because then you feel left behind if um if maybe a lot of your classmates are participating in like a cheating ring and you know that you're not and so you want to be a part of that otherwise you might be um dropped a percent or dropped a curve that doesn't make sense dropped like no i get what you're saying <laughs> you know what yeah. i'm saying but you wouldn't you wouldn't, you wouldn't benefit as a result mm-hmm. um and so i just felt like this topic was almost taboo in a way even though we like all know about it and we've heard about it, but it hasn't been discussed in the detail that I feel like it should be discussed. Cause I think it's a, it's a bigger problem than, or a bigger concern for a lot of students than is being recognized. I think this story highlighted, you know, a way to not be honest and, and that can be harmful for every party involved. Cause I'm sure professors don't like to have to confront their students about, you know, academic dishonesty. Um, but yeah, um, that's pretty much all I have for us today. Unless, do you have anything you want to add about the story? Um, I will say that kind of based off what you just said, Alan Kelly did say that faculty do not enjoy the process of um, coming up with punishments for their students who are cheating. Yeah, absolutely. They don't like that at all. They'd rather not do it. 100%. But yeah, that's basically all that I have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you. And um, we're excited to see more stories that you, you come out with. So thanks for coming, Claire. Thank you for having me, Megan. It was a blast. And thank you, Emerald listeners, for joining us for another episode of How It's Reported. We'll be back soon. And stay safe, everyone.